want to open up our, our time together uh, in looking at a parable. A parable of the talents is what it's called. It's in Matthew chapter 25. And there are uh, Bibles behind uh, the pews there that if you didn't bring a Bible, you don't have one, or if you don't want to look at your phone, you can open up that Bible. And I would encourage you to do that. In fact, as we go a little bit further into this message, we're gonna, I'm going to really encourage you to open up that Bible. We're going to kind of go verse by verse through something and uh, be a little wild and crazy. So uh, if you want to look at that, it's Matthew chapter 5. It's in the New Testament. I, I don't have the, the page number, and I do apologize. But Matthew chapter 25 in there, we're going to look at the parable of the talents from verse 14. So here we are. And the talents. Talents is kind of like a, a weight of measurement of a gold coin. It's, it's currency. So here it is. Matthew 25, verse 14 and following. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also the one who had two talents made two talents more. But he who received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled the accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents, saying, Master, you have delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. In verse 22, And he also had the two talents came forward, the guy who had two, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents, and here I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And in verse 24, He who also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have gathered, scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers. And at my coming, I should have received it at least with some interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness, into that place where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ooh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Raise your hand if you've, if you've heard this before. You've heard this, this parable once, once or twice before. Excellent, wonderful. What if you were to imagine the gospel truth? When I say the gospel truth, I mean the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, if you reach for the hand that has been reaching for you, and you've been irresistibly compelled to say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, and that you know without a shadow of a doubt that that saves you for eternal life, that frees you from this life of sin and prepares you for the next to be in communion with the Holy Lord himself. 
What if you were to look at that gospel truth like one of those talents, like one of those gold coins? What if it was just the one gold coin and it was given to you? What if you looked like it to that as something in which you are to do with, to possibly invest with that, to possibly have great hope and expectation that if you were to take that gift that you have been given and implant that in, and invest it in somebody else's life, that you would do that with such great hope and great expectation that you would see it magnify, song that we just sung, and you would see it grow up in someone else. What if you thought of the gospel truth like that? Let me rephrase the question. Have you ever thought of the gospel truth like that, as something in which you would invest in somebody else. Two of those men were given talents, five and two talents, right? And they saw that multiply. They saw it as a growth opportunity. They accepted that gift and they used it. But the other man looked at the master and said, here, have what is yours. He never looked at it as a gift in which he was to receive. He never looked at it as a gift that was his own. He tried to hide it away and did nothing with it. What if we view the gospel truth of Jesus Christ as a gift that has been given to us to invest with great expectation and to see it grow? Now, you may ask, how does the gospel truth grow? You may ask, how does the gospel truth grow? I actually thought of that while I was sitting over there. I'm like, I'm going to do that and see if anyone pays attention. But anyways, you may ask, how does the gospel truth go? And that is what leads us to today in our sermon series. We are in the middle of a sermon series called Simple Living. It is our discipleship, evangel evangelistic, those big church words, discipleship to follow Jesus, evangelistic, how to share that strategy here at Bethel Presbyterian church. Our mission is to love, live, serve, share Jesus Christ wherever we go. And we think that doing that through the simple way of living is the best way to achieve that mission. Last week, we kicked it off by talking about S in simple, study the life of Christ, what it means to, to follow after him and learn from him and try to emulate his, his life, how to be like him for other folks. And today we look at I. To answer that question, how do we see the gospel truth grow? It is invest. To invest in others, to invest in the word of God itself, to invest in the Lord. That's what we're going to look at today. To look at the call and faith in our lives to be gospel investors. You all who now possess the truth of Jesus Christ, who are truth keepers. You are gospel investors. What is an investor? An investor financially is someone who puts their own skin in the game and puts their own money into it and plays the long range goal to see some sort of financial gain. How does this happen with the gospel? How can we be gospel investors? To be a gospel investor is quite simply to be, here it is, once you get this, write it down, 
You write it down, and then if you don't want to listen to the rest of the sermon, that is fine, because this is pretty much, this is the key to the whole thing. To be a gospel investor, someone who, 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 who takes the time, who, who walks with people, who shares the good news of Jesus, who shares the truth that they have been receiving, to be a gospel investor is to be someone who does what Jesus did. Who does what Jesus did. You remember those bracelets? You remember the bracelets? What would Jesus do? To be a gospel investor is to JDI, just do it. Is to do exactly what Jesus did. And, and what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus, as we, that was last week. We looked at, there are countless stories of Jesus interacting with people, walking with people, doing life with people. The scriptures tell us that Jesus is God's only son who tabernacled with us, who made his home in our neighborhood and did life with us. And so we look at those stories to see what Jesus did, and he knew when to stop, when to talk, when to interact, when to heal, when to charge, when to challenge. He knew it all because he took the time to invest in the lives of the people that are around him and for what gain? For his gain, to gain souls, to have the truth of the gospel, and to see that grow up inside of them. To be a gospel investor is to do exactly what Jesus did, is to see people's lives as worthy to be saved, to have your heart break for the lost. And so today we're going to look at one of the most prominent gospel investors in Scripture other than Jesus. Any guesses as to who it is? If you looked at your bulletin, you would know. Any guesses as to who we're going to look at today? Want to shout it out? Paul, right, right? Can we all agree? Paul is one of the, probably one of the um, prominent gospel investors there are that we have in Scripture. And so if you look at the book of 1 Thessalonians, page 11, 722, we're going to look through this passage in chapter 2. Now, in chapter 2, in the letter to Thessalonians, we see a great example of how Paul pours into a community, how he and his fellow folks surround a community of believers and invest his time in them so that the gospel truth would grow and magnify in this group of people. And what I would have for us today is that we can use what is here in Thessalonians as a practical guide for how we can invest in other folks, how we can be gospel investors. So let's look at it. First Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to look at, at these verses, and I'm going to kind of start and stop. And what we're going to see here are the qualities of a gospel investor, okay? Now, is everyone excited? I need to see excited faces. Are you all excited? Because yeah, we're going to actually open up the Bible and read it together and discuss. Oh, my goodness, right? All right, so here, let's do that. Chapter 2. So Paul says, For you yourselves know, brothers that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst 
of such, in the midst of much conflict. One of the first qualities of being a gospel investor is boldness. What do I mean by boldness? In the Greek, that word boldness means to speak freely without restraint. To have such a wellspring of confidence rise up inside of you. Confidence in the the gospel truth of Jesus Christ. That you, without hindrance, speak freely and boldly to people the gospel truth of Jesus. Now, what is a head-scratcher for this is that the Apostle Paul writes a lot of his letters from a prison cell in the shadow of much persecution, in the shadow of death itself, and yet he doesn't care. He continues on with that message to send out the gospel truth to as many people as he can. And I don't know about you, for me, that that is a sobering thought. Because I don't know if I have that type of boldness. If you had to think about it, do you think about sharing the gospel truth of Jesus as a life or death thing? Is that even a paradigm in our minds? And yet the foundation of what we stand on are people who lived in that paradigm of life or death. And yet still, without hindrance, spoke the truth boldly of Jesus Christ. That is a a means of investment. It's risk. It's taking the risk to step out in faith and share the truth in which you have been given, the truth in which you know. There's a quote from Martin Luther. You all know Martin Luther. Martin Luther is the, is the reason why that we have uh, this Protestant uh, <laughs> denomination. And Martin Luther was a Catholic monk. And Martin Luther knew that the Catholic Church at that time were, were, were doing it wrong. They, they misinterpreted Scripture and they were holding Scripture back from people and they were feeding people their own version of, of Scripture. And Martin Luther, he wanted to what? He wanted to reform the Catholic Church. He didn't want to leave it. He didn't want to reform it. But at great risk of life, he stands in front of that assembly of the Pope and everybody else And that famous speech of here I stand, I can do no other, right? In the shadow of death, because of the truth of Scripture's knowing. And I found this quote. It says this, if he has faith, the believer cannot be restrained. He betrays himself if he does. No, he, he, he breaks out and he confesses and teaches this gospel to people at the risk of life itself. Investing the gospel truth in the life of another requires us to be bold, without hindrance, to do it in the face of adversity and public ridicule, and to do it with a genuine and sincerity of heart. The only thing that we can kind of see in our lives right now is that being a Christian in America is not necessarily the most attractive thing, right? In circles that we may run in, if people find out that we are Christian, they begin to start looking at us and begin to making some accusations and thoughts about our our faith. That may be the, the closest thing that I can see it, but that should not, as we prayed in the prayer of confession, allow us to dim our light so as to not be bothered. Being a gospel investor is someone who speaks with boldness, at great risk. And it's not necessarily holding up a picket sign that says repent now. It's not necessarily that. 
I read online that the difference between an investor and a trader, an investor plays the long game, a trader tries to have quick returns. It's not necessarily doing those flash in the pan things, but it's, it's taking the time and to speak freely without, without hindrance to people about the gospel truth of Jesus. Let's move on. So that was, that was verse 2. We're going to go through 10. That was verse 2. Verse 3, for our appeal does not spring from error or impunity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came without words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. In other words, Paul said, we didn't come to try to make money. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether you or from others, though we could have made demands because we were apostles of Christ. Being a gospel investor is someone who is bold. Being a gospel investor is someone who is approved, entrusted, and humble. Let's break that down. What does it mean to be approved? Approved means someone who is tested and now is deemed worthy. Think of your lives that have led up to you knowing who Jesus is. And think of your lives post that time of, of experience who Jesus is. Those things, those trials, those tests of faith. Those are things that continue for God to approve of you. To say that you are worthy to send this message because you have been in it. You have been in that season of loss. You have been in that season of struggle and remained faithful to Jesus in the midst of all of that, whether you were certain that you were going to be free from that struggle or not. Whether free or not, you're going to be faithful. Think of the Apostle Paul and Damascus Road and the test and the things that happened to him, and God sent him with this message. You have been approved by God, you who place your faith in Jesus, know that, that he has given you that stamp of approval to go and share the good news of Jesus, to take that time and seek out people to do that. And why is that? Because, second part, you've been entrusted with the gospel. Have you ever thought about being that God trusts you with this divine secret of Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? That the very truth that you keep has been entrusted in you? I trust you to go and say and tell this to people that you're not going to get it wrong, that as long as you just stand there with faith and boldness, that you share who I am, I'll take care of the rest. And a person who is a gospel investor is humble. Notice what Paul says. We didn't do it for our glory. We didn't do it for our money. We didn't do it for our success. We did it for the Lord so that God would be praised. Isn't that amazing? And so you need to silence the voices in your mind that, that you're not good enough. Because what Jesus and what Paul are saying here is, you've been approved by God. And no matter what gift of ministry that you may have, now it's getting into next week, but no matter what ministry gift that you may have, whether you're an apostle, whether you're a prophet, an evangelist, a shepherd, or a teacher, that comes straight from Ephesians. An apostle, someone who is sent with a message, a prophet, someone who can discern right from wrong and tells people, no, you got to go this way. An evangelist, someone who is entrusted to make sure people hear the good news and come to faith. 
a shepherd, someone who cares and nurtures those folks, or a teacher, someone who continues to lay the groundwork, the foundation of what's in here. Whether you are any of those things, and you all are one of those things, if you are a faith-believing Christian, you've been approved. You've been entrusted with the gospel to go and tell it with such great humility and expectation that, that God will bring glory to those efforts. So be a gospel investor, someone who is bold, someone who is approved, entrusted, and humble. Let's move on. What is the next thing here? <clears throat> the next thing comes from verse 7 and verses 11 through 12. Let's look at it. Chapter 2, verse 7. But we were gentle among you, Paul says, like a nursing mother taking care of her children. And we jump down to verse 11 and 12. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. Boldness, approval, entrusted with the gospel, humble. And then Paul says, we were like parents among you. Being a gospel investor is someone who feeds and someone who guides people. Feeding like a nursing mother, care and nurturing, guiding and encouraging and equipment like a father would do for his children, mother, father, whatever, like a parent who invests into the lives of their kids. You all know us. You saw my daughter up here. We have three children. Let's talk about investment, shall we? The investment of time to do a lot of things. Right now, one of those children, the middle child, he'll kill me for it later, is learning how to use the facilities. He's potty training. And do you know, it is a t what, when we trained our oldest how to, how to use the potty, it was great. You know, she, she, you know, we had the time to do that. We now have three children. And this poor little kid, I found myself saying to him, we're not playing on the potty. You either go or you don't. So now he has an anxiety complex about going to the bathroom. <laughs> because on the stove, I had dinner cooking. I had a baby who was crying. Carrie was doing something upstairs in our bed. I mean, but like parents, you take the time. The hospital says you're free to go. And as a first-time parent, you look at them and you think you're crazy. I'm not free to go. But they entrust you with this child to go and spend the time to raise them up so that they stay, stay alive and that they thrive. And you spend the time feeding and guiding and nurturing them so that they can have the synapses of thoughts and put things together and, and, and be well-respected, good little human beings. Now put that on investing, being gospel investors. And you don't have to be a parent to know that. If you have affection and love in your hearts for others, you can do that very same thing. Because out of that affection and that desire for other people, you take the time and invest and guide and nurture and, and encourage and equip other people in this gospel truth. And that brings me to verse 8. That's verses 8 is, is exactly that. You don't have to be a parent to do this because a gospel investor is willing to share of themselves out of desirous affection. 
before I read this verse, let me ask you, what does your heart break for? Think about it. What does your heart, what does my heart break for? Does it break for people who don't know who Jesus is? Our hearts can break for a lot of things in this world, but does it break for the lost to know who Jesus is? Do you have a heartache for letting people know who Jesus is? And if you don't, that is okay. This is what's getting into our stuff to challenge us. Remember, you've been entrusted with the gospel. You're a truth keeper. And so you've been approved. And so within you should be the desire to get people to know who Jesus is. And in order to do that, it's all the things that we've talked about, boldness and, 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 and living and, and spending the time and feeding and guiding and nurturing. And it's also this little attitude shift, willing to share of themselves, of yourself. So he says here in verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. An investor has some skin in the game. An investor knows that it means aligning your life and, and, and putting it with others and doing life with them just like, just like Jesus did for us. It's saying to, to that life, to that person, to that people group, that you are worthy to hear this truth. And it's done from a sincerity and genuineness of heart. If we can have our hearts break for those who don't know Jesus, primarily as a foundation, then everything we do to fix that, to, to address that, is an investment of the gospel truth to get people to know and experience who Jesus Christ is, the end game. And lastly, what does Paul say? If we were to jump to chapter 3, verses 9 through 10, what a gospel investor is, he says this, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Lastly, a gospel investor doesn't give up. I've told this story numerous of times. I have a high school friend. His name was Joe. He gave me a Bible for my senior gift. And in that Bible wrote a manifesto of love of what he has experienced in Jesus and his desire for me to know who Jesus was. This was 20 years ago. At senior week 20 years ago, I made the decision to go party with the popular kids and to get into that kind of scene of alcohol and all the things that, that was going on in there. And Joe stayed with me and said, Mike, I don't think this is right. Mike, I don't think this is where, what Christ would have us do. And I even looked at him on the beach and I said, just leave me alone. I want to have fun. And yet that Bible, that investment of time, who didn't give up on me, that one day, 10 years after that, I find myself leading a youth group as a youth minister using that very book and starting to read this letter that he wrote to me about who Jesus is. It's an investment. It's someone who's playing the long game and doesn't give up. 
and doesn't give up. To commit earnestly, to pray, to find ways to help, to add, and to supply to their faith. That's what he's asking. And so, as we conclude this there, I need you to understand that in the, in the book of, of Thessalonians here, there is a return on investment for Paul. See, what Paul, this whole letter, is Paul is sending Timothy out to get a report on how his investment is doing. And he was fully prepared for Timothy to come back and say, it's all gone to pot, because that's kind of the, the, the status quo, really, of, of, of what's happening in the New Testament churches where we read all those letters. He's fully prepared for that. And then is shocked and is amazed as Timothy says, no, they're doing great in this first part of this letter. They're doing great. They're doing fantastic. And Paul is overjoyed at that. He's so thankful that they are continuing in the faith in his absence, seeing that investment grow. And so he encourages them. He doesn't give up. And he says, hey, do that more and more. Let's see it increase. It's in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. Do it more and more. See it increase. Now you may ask, who in the world has that kind of time? As I'm telling you all of this about boldness, about being approved and entrusted with the gospel, about being humble, about taking the time to feed and to nurture and to not give up and to share your very lives. You may be thinking, listen, my dance card is full. I don't know if I can shimmy in something like that that you're talking about, that real life example and where I quote unquote do life with somebody. I have my own life. I've, you're like me. I've got three kids. I'm thinking, oh Lord, how do you do this, right? The Apostle Paul's call and mission was to a people group. We know that he was called to go minister to the Gentiles. That's a whole group of folks, right? Uh, nations of folks. And of course, along the way, he had his Timothy and his Titus. He had people that he invested in, right? What I would say to you, if worried about time, what I would say to you is that your call the person in whom God is wanting you to take the time and invest in may be the person that is sitting next to you. It may be your spouse, a child. It may be a neighbor, a coworker. It may be someone that is right there, right in front of you. And if you were to think a second right now, you might have a name that comes to mind. And that investment starts with just having the boldness to share your story with them, to get to know them, to get them to start talking, and then to take the time, knowing you've been approved and entrusted with this gospel, to take the time to feed and guide and nurture them, to share your lives with them, be vulnerable, and to not give up. You may be one of many investors in this person's life. Also know that. The, the burden of converting people is not necessarily on your shoulders. The, the Lord does that. He takes the efforts and he brings about in them the call for them to, to, to accept Jesus. We're just called to go. The Great Commission says, therefore, as you go, make disciples of all nations. The thrust of that is not in all nations. The thrust in that is as you are going. So as you go, take the time, take the moment to pause, to love this person as you love yourself, as Jesus taught, to feed them as Jesus commanded, 
and to share your lives with them as an investment of the gospel truth so that on the day that we see Jesus face to face, we can look at him and say, Master, you've given me five talents. I return five more. And not so that I can boast at my efforts, but so that I can boast in a life that is now with Jesus to see the investment come to its full and final glory and payout. And so, my friends, answer the call in your lives to be a gospel investor. Play the long game. Be bold. Don't give up. Be vulnerable to share that life with them. Feed and guide them as a parent does their child. And know that you have been approved and tested and entrusted with the very truth of Jesus Christ to do that very thing. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, it is so simple to sit here and, and think about those things and think, yeah, I want to do that, and I wish I can do that, and I hope I can do that. And Lord, we can't do anything on our own. Forgive us for thinking if we jump to that conclusion to think that we can do this all on our own. Lord, it only comes through you working in our lives of bringing that investment that you've made in our lives to fruition that we would boldly stand and, and just share our stories of, of who you are to us, to share it in such a way out of love and genuine sincerity that, that folks would, would want to know more. Lord, give us the boldness. Give us the confidence to do exactly that. Not so that we may boast, but that we may see more and more folks in that kingdom. Folks who have come to know who you are and proclaim you as their Lord and Savior. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just remember this, for God so loved the world that he made an investment and he sent his only son so that we may have what? Life, eternal life.